and I'll tell you, just coming into worship this morning and and then the song that that the worship team led off with and that Justin sorted out for us, I'll tell you, if you were feeling down after last night's game, then that's a, that's a pick-me-up right there. You can come to church and be lifted up, you know, and so I told one of the young ball players that goes to church here this one of the peewees that I would just said, there's winning and then there's learning. And if you're not learning, that's when you start losing. So better every week, right? That being said, I would have you turn in your Bibles this morning. We're going to pick right up where we left off in John chapter 4. We're going to, we're going to settle it at, at verse number 27. And when you get there, know that before we, we stand, and I'm just going to preface this by saying this to you. This morning... The scripture hits us right right in the heart. So it's going to be a, a moment, a, a, a gut check moment for us. So as we come to the scripture, I, I'm preparing you right now to understand that I believe God has something to say to each and every one of us, including myself. And of course, I have to, I have to hear this sermon long before you do. So when we, when we get to verse number 27 in John chapter 4, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word. So please, would you join me by standing? John chapter 4, verse number 27 reads this way. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pots, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this time saying, or in this, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come to scriptures, we are challenged by the truth of the fact that there is indeed a harvest before each and every one of us, and that our role to play in it is instrumental. And there's no free passes here today. Everyone has a role to play in the harvest that is in front of us. I ask, Lord, that you would challenge us today to rise up to do the work, that we would see the marvelous ministry that you have put before us, and that we would embrace it. Lord, I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This is actually one of the neatest pieces of, of Bible imagery that was ever shared to me. I had a, a great professor who was a professor over discipleship when I was in college, and, and he told this story, and he was a great storyteller. 
And he just talked about the Bible in such a way that you could see it. And so I want you to put into your head an image, and I want you to think on it, the whole of this message. Okay? Imagine that the audience that's coming to meet Jesus after they are informed by the woman, that they are dressed in long flowing clothes that are grain colored. And that as they are, they are making their move to Jesus, that it, it looks like waving wheat, if you will, that he could see them. And when he looks to his disciples, he points out and he says, look at the harvest. It's plentiful. And I, and I hope this morning as I look at all the other verses with you and as we share them together, that you will begin to see that when you look out the doors of your house, of your car, of this church, that what you will see are people all around us that are ready to be harvested harvested into this family, into the, into the faith family of God, to know that there is a redeemer and a savior. And, and what are they waiting for? Our obedience. Verse number 27. At this point, remember that Jesus has just had this turning point moment where I highlighted last week how he was transitioning in the mind's eye of, of the woman from prophet to Messiah, that he declares himself to be the one who is going to declare all these things. So verse number 27 says, and at this point, just after that happened, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. This stuff here. It's really interesting that his disciples have come back from being in town and they've been doing the grocery shopping. And, and that's a picture of us at church. Sometimes we get busy just doing the shopping and thinking that what we're doing is important. And it's not that the things that we are doing aren't important, but sometimes we are missing what is happening all around us. And when we get back to see the thing that God is at work doing, that we don't understand it at all. And we're like, but these important things that we have been doing, are, are, they're important to us. And all the while, our Savior is in our midst and he's doing something and we're saying, but we don't understand it. You know, oftentimes, marvelous ministry and mission is mysterious to us in a way that we can't comprehend. Jesus is always doing something. I highlighted this, and I will continue to highlight this. With the exception of the healings that Jesus does in the New Testament, there are rarely reproduced miracles in any part of the Bible. When God does a miracle in the Old Testament, it stands alone, and he is so creative that he could fill all 66 books of this Bible with miracle after miracle, and there is very little repetition. And he, and he is doing miracles all around us, and he's ministering in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And that when we see him, sometimes we are so confused by it. And we're just like the disciples. We're like, man, these busy tasks that are important, we've been doing them, and when we come back to you, we see you, and you're doing something completely unorthodox, and it doesn't make any sense to us. And we look around and we say, I don't get it. But here, let me give you a little hint. If we try to reproduce here anything that's been done before us, just the way we remember it, because we like it, we will miss the fact that our creator, that our savior is unique and powerful and innovative and does miracles around us that we, that we don't have to be repetitive. We can do works that will inspire the world around us because they are the inspiration that we have found in him. And people will see us and they will say, man, what's going on there? And we'll say, we're just following Jesus as close as we can. 
man, that doesn't look like I'm used to seeing things look. Say, this didn't look very much like what they were used to seeing. The disciples show up and they see him talking to this woman and they're like, what? How dare you talk to a woman by yourself? Your reputation is on the line, Jesus. And I think Jesus would plainly look back at each and every one of us and say, when her soul is on the line. And sometimes we've got to reach past a thing that makes us just a little bit uncomfortable in order to do a right thing. In spite of everything that we, that we instinctively have seen and traditionally have held. I'm not asking you to be unethical and I'm not asking you to be immoral. I'm asking you to be innovative. And there's a difference. We see the scripture here. We, we see that their, their response and they're marveling at this, right? And the question is, is what do you seek? Nobody asks that. And why are you talking with her? And nobody asks that. Nobody will look at a brand new ministry that they don't agree with and say, what do you hope to accomplish? What they'll say is, that's not the way we've done it. And that's not the, what, what we're used to. Instead of saying, what do we hope to accomplish in this? And what in the world can be gained from it? And oftentimes we'll say, this is the thing that's attractive. First time somebody ever put stink bait in the pond to catch the catfish, Somebody next to him was like, that smells awful. When that catfish came up out of the water on that hook, everybody was like, give me some of that. Some of us need to learn that sometimes ministry doesn't smell very good, but it's real attractive. We see this picture, and it just continues to unfold. At this point in the conversation, the woman having heard Jesus declare to her that he who speaks to you is he. I mean, that's what verse 26 says. She does this really cool thing. She has come to the well to procure water. Water is life. What's it say? It says she leaves her water pot. At this point, I mean, excuse me, verse 28, the woman then left her water pot I mean, it just says she left her water pot. She found something more important, something that could fill her so much more deeply than whatever she could procure for her and her family. She wasn't thirsty anymore. Not the way she had been. If she was still thirsty, she'd make sure she had that water pot with her. But she leaves her water pot. Her priorities have shifted and changed to focus on Jesus, to tell other people about Jesus, and the little bit of grocery shopping she had come to do is now no longer important. It means a couple things in my estimation. Number one, some of us are holding on to something that is keeping us from being sincerely engaged with our Savior. And we think that it's so important that we can't set it down long enough for him to have control over all of us. I spent a few minutes in the nursery this morning I will tell you, I'm just working my way through every Sunday school class, and I mean every Sunday school class. I dipped in and said, there's a ladies' class. I'm going to join it just for one Sunday at least because I don't know how to minister, and I don't know how to lead unless I know what's going on. But in the nursery, this advice was given to a, a child this morning. It'll be easier to pick that up if you put the thing in your hand down. And I thought, that's profound. That'll preach. Some of you are holding on to things and Jesus is asking you to pick something else up and you're like, but look what I'm holding and he's like, set that down. 
it'll be easier, won't it? If you set that thing down. So I got to tell you, you need, some of you need to leave your water pot. You need to set it right down on the ground, right where you are today, and you need to chase down whatever Jesus is calling you to. And you need to stop worrying about that water pot. But it says when she leaves her water pot, she went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And there's a question mark here. She, she, she stops what she was doing. She goes into town and she begins to tell everyone, come see this man. The Jesus of the scriptures that we should be falling in love with ought to be someone that is so magnetic and so amazing that we ought to be ready to talk and know all the stats about Jesus. I mean, most of you in here have some comprehension of the football team that you follow, and you know stats about their wins and losses and their quarterback's ratings, and, and you know things about their opponents, and you know things about history and records, but you don't know anything about this book, and you're not in love with Jesus the way you ought to be in love with Jesus, because when you are, you know things about him, and you tell people things about him, and you go to them, and you say things like, come see a man who told me everything about me. I just... I just see it here, and this woman has had one brief conversation that covers 20-something verses, and as a result, she's already the best evangelist in the room. What in the world? These disciples have been hanging out with Jesus. They will spend three years with them, and some of them will scatter as soon as he's arrested. Some of us have been following Jesus our whole lives. told you, gut check. He's coming to this point in the story where the disciples are going to be so burdened by him. She tells him all of this. Verse 30 says, then they went out of the city and came to him. She didn't have a seminary degree. She didn't have a college degree in theology or, or ministry of any kind. She didn't have a church membership or attendance record or Sunday school pins or, or coffee cups that said she had been there every week for the last 50 years. She didn't have none of that. I'll tell you what she did have. She had influence over the people that she went to talk to because they believed what she said was real in her heart and her mind. And she said, come and see this man. This man is just absolutely changing the world. And he knows everything there is to know about me. And the response was profound. See, I think some of us are waiting until we're equipped to a certain level before we can talk about these things. And I'm telling you, you don't have to be equipped. You just have to meet him one time for real. And then you will talk about him. Verse 31, because that's not the end of the story and because it's profound here, it says, in the meantime, and I love this, it's like there were other things going on. It says, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Mm. And here's a question for you. They went to get food. They thought Jesus was hungry. And they wanted to fuel Jesus. They wanted to fuel Jesus. 
And Jesus says to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. And he's like, the fuel that I have, it comes from somewhere else. Can't be bought at a grocery store, and it sure doesn't belong to any kind of club membership. It's something else. And he begins to lay this out, and it's, there's this picture, and here's a question, and, and this is something that I, I have to ask of us this morning. I mean, myself first. And that is, have we done anything to fuel the ministry or the mission that we are a part of? You see, I think we think that throwing the resource at it, that we've always thrown at it, is the way to fuel it. But I will tell you that the, that the X factor in any ministry or mission is not stuff and it's not money. God bless you, we, know, we need your support and the gifts, but man, I'm telling you, that's not the end of the story. I think far too many times that I have lived in my life, I have watched people put money in an offering plate or in an offering box or gone online and made a gift, and what they should have done is they should have volunteered because the X factor is you. You are the element that cannot be replaced. You are the thing that Jesus needs more than anything else, and he doesn't need anything, but he's invited you in. And he's looking at us, and, and we're trying, we keep trying to fuel him with all these worldly things. And he's like, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. And the disciples are baffled by this. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? I mean, the confusion on them is paramount to that of churches that are struggling and declining and wondering what they've done wrong. And Jesus is about to tell them. He's about to give them this bit of, of insight. You feel tired and you feel wore out and doing and volunteering and being part of the church? Part of that is because not enough people volunteer in the church. And all of God's people said, ouch. The reality for us is that not enough people volunteer. That, I, I told a um, we've had some conversations, some hard conversations over the course of the last couple of weeks and dealing with some frustrations that are happening right here. You guys invited me to come be the pastor and I've taken the job. You've hired me to do a job. Some of you aren't going to like what comes next because I'm going to put some, some hard pressure for us to be the people that God has asked us to be. When you say, why don't we do that anymore, Brother Ben? And I'm going to say, why don't we do that? And they're going to say, what do you mean we don't do that? And I'm going to say, well, there weren't enough volunteers. So it was unethical and unsafe and it sets us up for all kind of risk. That's not the way we're going to do ministry. We're going to do ministry by being all in, every one of us, trying to do something. If you're sitting here today and you were able to come, there's a ministry for you to be a part of at this church. Amen? Man, some of you got quiet. Some of you were like, yeah, the, the doers in the church. And, and let me preface this by saying, I know there are some acts of service people in this room that love this part. And there's some people in this room that are not acts of service people that think that, there's, that this is terrifying. There's a place for people who do words of affirmation and quality time and, 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 and that are all about the interactions, the social stuff, but not about the acts of service. There's a place for you. The problem is, is that you've only been told it's one type of volunteering. But that one type of volunteer typically carries the load instead of engaging everybody where they're at with their gifts and their talents, the church is real good about asking the doers to do all the things, and then the doers get real frustrated at everybody else. I think that's where we're at. That's my assessment after almost a month. You got a fistful of doers that are real frustrated. If you can't say amen. 
Jesus says this, the medicine for the problem. We're real good about preaching and presenting the problem, but not always good about bringing the medicine, aren't we? Don't treat the symptoms, Brother Ben. Treat the, treat the illness, amen? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus has fueled macro art got up and he shared this at a, at a, at a ordination service. Mac was the, the leading Greek authority at Oklahoma Baptist University. I only know him by legend. His legend precedes him. This story that's told about him is, is that he's preaching at an ordination service and he talks about this set of verses and when he does, he gets to this part. He says, you will get exhausted serving Jesus. Especially if you serve Jesus in your own power. But if you serve God, you serve Jesus, fully fueled by him, you will find that it will be refreshing and it will be invigorating and you'll say to yourself, I can't wait to do it again next year. I can't wait to do it again next week. I can't wait to do it again tomorrow. How many of you in this room love False Creek? Man, some of you are like, what, he's asking us questions? No, really, does anybody in here love False Creek? And you're saying to yourself, I can't wait till next year. Some of you are like, yeah. Most of us would say, if it happened every week, that would be hard. But we can do it once a year, right? I wish some of us fell in love with other parts of the church the same way we fall in love with things like camp. Because this is not entertainment. This is active participation. It's called worship. And when we come to worship, God invites us into changing and doing more. And because of that, he puts upon us this reality that if we serve in our calling and in our gifting, it is fuel. You don't know why you feel exhausted doing the thing you're doing? It's probably because, A, you don't have enough help, and B, you might not be doing the right thing. Jesus is energized by, by meeting this woman. Maybe we need to start praying to God and asking him what exactly he wants us to do here. And how exactly does he hope us to execute it? And how in the world do we hope to proceed forward and be energized to do it? Well, it's everybody working inside of their strengths and their callings. And when they don't work inside of their strengths and callings, to let God be sufficient to make up the difference. People always say things and they're cliche things about how God will never give you more than you can handle. I've never read that in the Bible. What I have read in the Bible is, is that they were brought to their breaking point and beyond. But you know what I've always read in the Bible that people seem to miss? God says, I am sufficient to make the difference. And so if you're in a place where you don't feel sufficient, lean on him. Cry out to him for sufficiency, for his, for his gap-making ability. We come on to verse number 35. It says, do not say to me, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. These men and women coming out of the community dressed in these, these flesh-toned, long, flowing garments look like wheat in the distance. And he's pointing at them. He says, that's the harvest right there, and you are missing it. And I was a college student, and we had an opportunity to go on a mission trip, and I had to do a number of these in my degree plan. And so I looked at the ones that were most engaging to me. I had no intention of going to Houston whenever I was invited to go to Houston when I was in college. Part of my responsibility being a resident assistant was is that we had to be part of this missions fest thing and we had to host a booth. 
I learned all these cool statistics about Houston. You know, one of the things I learned about Houston is, at the time of this, and this is back in the early 2000s, that it was like the sixth largest city in the, in the world, or not the world, the, the states. But if you took all the believers out of Houston, it would still be the seventh largest city in the United States. Now, that was years ago. Now it's number five. It's the fifth largest city in the states. But if you took every believer out of Houston, it would still be number seven as far as cities are concerned, population-wise. I was blown away. I was blown away. If every person in Begs got up this morning and decided to go to church, there wouldn't be enough seats in the churches to hold them. Don't become comfortable on our small slice. The harvest is out there, and it is still in bed, and it is... It is wondering where hope comes from and who can save them and what kind of life that this could possibly lead and end up in. And they're crying out to everything in the whole world that will offer them some kind of false hope. And instead of coming to Jesus, because we're not out there offering him to them, they're going to everything else. In Houston, we got there. And we did a lot of different ministries over the course of the week, but one of the things we were going to do as a backyard Bible club and children's ministry is the heartbeat of ministry. Because young families represent the lifeblood of churches, and if you have young families, you have children, and if you have a place for children, you will have a place for young families, and they go in a circle. The senior adults know this because they were once young families in churches. Most of them are wore out and said, I've done my service in my time, and they can't think of a way that they can help because they're getting ill, I mean, frail, and, and, and they're aging out and all these other things. Trust me, there's a place for us. But understand the truth. If you don't get serious about taking care of children, you won't need a space for young adults. If you don't get serious about taking care of babies, you won't, have a, you won't, need, you won't need a place for young adults. So as a pastor, my responsibility is to hold on to those people who carried the load up till now and those people that are coming on board and teach them to love each other in a way that they all serve. When we're in Houston and we're serving this week and we've got this backyard Bible club and we have, we have launched out there with like six or seven college students and man, we have flyered a neighborhood, an apartment complex that has 400 apartment units and we have put a flyer on every door and that first day when 200 kids showed up, they ran over us. We were not organized. We were not prepared well. I mean, we were going to teach him a, st- a lesson, and we were going to sing a song. We were going to play a game, and we had this little bit of snacks we were going to hand out, which, by the way, if you're not prepared for 200, you're only prepared for 50 or 60, this is a loaves and fishes moment. And we are being run over by these kids. And one of the ladies who happened to be a kind of a guru in children's ministry was called in to help us that night, and we sat around a table in a church, and we were defeated. And she says, you're going to go to Target tonight, and you're going to buy some whistles. And then you're going to go, and you're going to, instead of trying to have one big group rotate through all the stations, you're going to divide the kids into four or five different groups, and you're going to rotate pods of kids around. And she's like, and you're going to move rapidly through the elements. And she taught us this great blueprint, and the next day was amazing. I know it was amazing because I never had to deal with more than about 20 to 30 kids at any one time. That was amazing compared to the 200 that was sitting in front of five or six of us that we couldn't handle. By the end of the week, when those kids had, had gotten into enough relationship with me that they decided to swarm and take me down, one of the only times I'll ever admit to ever being really tackled. All these little kids this tall 
and enough of them swarming me. And we thought, man, because what was supposed to happen was we were supposed to create this, this, this group and then we were going to hand it off to the church that was right across the street. And they were supposed to do this backyard Bible club every week. When they got the word how many kids were there, you know what they said? They broke our hearts the last day of that trip. They shattered us into a thousand pieces. They, they stood there in our way. We're getting ready to load the vehicles. And they said, hey, guys, we got some bad news. And we said, what's that? And they said, well, the church that was supposed to handle all these kids came back and said they don't have enough volunteers. They're not going to have the Bible club. I mean, a number of those kids had made decisions to follow Jesus. A number of those kids, for the first time, looked at church as somewhere that they could find fun and hope and they could find, find something else. And I remember just this sincere sensation of loss, of grief. We have to decide that we see the harvest and that we're willing to harvest. We know it's there, but we have to decide to go into the work, to volunteer, to step up, to do small things, to lift the burdens of those who could go do the physical stuff if we're not into the physical stuff, to just be willing to say yes to Jesus. His disciples are looking at him and he's like, look, I am fueled by the work, and the work isn't done. Look out there and see it. It's everywhere. And as a result, he goes on to say this. He says, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. And we always talk about we want to see decisions in church. We want to see the baptistry full, and we want to see people coming down the aisle and making decisions, don't we? You know how you get that? Harvest. Put your shoulder to the plow and plant and then water and then when the season comes around, harvest. Oftentimes, churches want to harvest for that which they have not planted. They have left their fields untended for years and years and years and they expect a harvest to still come. Wild berries are wonderful, but I'll tell you, you get a whole lot more from, from, from the intentional field. But most churches have been living on the wild growth. That just what pops up in between the two farms that nobody's been paying attention to. It's a shame. He tells us that the fruit that we gather is eternal life, and both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. You might not be a sower, you might be a reaper. You might not be a reaper, you might be a sower. Your gift might be that God has given you extreme wealth and that you can buy all the seed. But your gift might be that you have none of that, but man, you can sure get out in the field and you can sure help to pull the crop in. You see, I, I question all the time whether or not we have any sowers or any reapers, and I wonder where they are. Because I know this is true. When, when a harvest is, is taking hold and the rejoicing comes along, that's something we should celebrate. That's something we should be energized for, right? You're still with me, aren't you? You got to do all of it. I mean, maybe I'll bring this closer to home. You can play offense or you can play defense. 
But if you don't play both, you don't win all the games. If we're going to sow and reap, there's no other way. We, we see this picture, this beautiful picture, and it's eternal, this eternal life that is the fruit we're looking for. Verse 37 says, For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And he just leaves this moment where he's like, by the way, you're not as important in this process as you think you are. But you are important to this process. You don't own this process. You just get to be part of it. You know, yesterday I had the honor, um, was invited not once but twice, you know, out to the Cattlemen had a, had a picnic out at the ranch that my grandfather managed for so many years. And my father and me were talking to a number of people there, and, and it, was really, it was really a tremendous honor. And um, I didn't expect um, Tyler to, to mention my dad or me when we were there, but he did. And so many people came up and talked to us. And in talking, I told a story about how we knew when we visited the area that we were told not to dress in anything nice because we knew that as soon as we showed up to the ranch, that my grandfather would expect us to go and run off a number of chores, things that he didn't have the hands for in his age as we got older, things that he needed help with, that, that there was that. There were moments in that process where we used to grumble a little to each other about, oh, man, granddad's going to want us to do all this work. You know who we never complained to? My grandfather. You know why we didn't complain to him? because we respected him enough and knew he needed the help and we were family that we would do the work. I'm sure there'll be moments in church where you will get frustrated with the thing and you'll complain to each other about it. But if you love your Lord enough and you respect him enough, you'll know that the work needs to be done and he expects it to be done. When you show up, you ought to do it. And you'll know how we'll know we're no longer family when you have to be begged to do it. My grandfather never had to beg us we showed up, and we respected him enough that he said, we need to go down here, and we need to do this little bit of fence, and we need to do this little bit of feed, and we need to take care of this little thing, and we would go, and we'd do it, sometimes for hours into the darkness. And I'm looking for people that love our Lord that much and more. They will work into the darkness. They will do the little bit of feeding. They will do the little bit of fence mending. They will not be frustrated enough to ever disrespect their Savior by saying, I'm not going to do it. I didn't come here to do that. What they're going to say is, yes, sir. They're going to say, yes, Lord, whatever you need. And that's what churches need more of. Because churches are too busy trying to harvest on the wild growth instead of on the intentional. And I know that right now is the time in our lives when everybody's looking around to the harvest. And Jesus is pointing it out in our church life, too, that there's a harvest all around us. And there, if there ain't room in the grain bins, I don't know what to tell you because there's chairs all around us that could be filled in the harvest. Amen? You should have been praying for these empty chairs for the last couple of weeks. Have you been? Now I want you to think about a name of a person that might go in that seat and pray for that person intentionally. And in a couple of weeks, I'll ask you to actually go out and invite them. But right now, we're going to have an invitation. And here's the truth. I might have riled you up and got you all sour, sour and sideways with me about this preacher that's meddling about what we should or shouldn't be doing. But if I've offended you, then God bless you. I did exactly what I was supposed to. 
But if your heart is ready and you're ready to respond, then this invitation is for you to come and say yes to God and put the altar in front of you and just say, whatever you need from me, I'll do it. And that might be the right thing to do this morning. Because if you leave out of here and you're neither, then we got a bigger conversation to have.